The following sermon was given on Sunday, July 28, 2019 at St. John's Episcopal Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My name is Marcus Haley. I have the wonderful honor of not only serving as the rector of the Episcopal Church immediately due north as the crow flies about four miles from here, St. Paul's, but also of serving you as your ECMN missioner for evangelism. And thank you to your rector, Lisa, for this warm invitation to share with you this morning. So for many, evangelism is a new word, a scary word, or both. So let me begin by telling you what it means by first telling you what it is not. Evangelism is not standing on the street corner, screaming loudly through a bullhorn at random passersby, warning them to prepare for the apocalypse. <laughs> that is a caricature. It is also not forcing our beliefs on others or demeaning others who do not share our beliefs. That is colonialism. Evangelism is this. It is living a life deeply connected to and shaped by the love of Jesus Christ. Now, this kind of life doesn't happen by accident or by happenstance. It takes discipline and intention, awareness and openness, a commitment to practicing the way of Jesus. It is seeking, naming, and celebrating the loving presence of Jesus Christ in the stories of all people and then inviting everyone to more. What is this more that we're talking about in the Episcopal Church lately? Well, it's not actually anything new. It is the abundant life promised by Jesus Christ, the kind of life that is possible when we live no longer for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again for us. It is what happens when we turn away from our own self-interest and our own will and choose each day to orient our lives towards the will of God. It's turning from sin to redemption and to make that choice over and over and over and over again. So this morning, I want to talk about how our lives are shaped by God and what difference any of that makes anyway. Being formed by God into the image of Jesus Christ is literally what it means to be a Christian. Christians are not people who live static, unchanging lives. On the contrary, to be Christian is to be changed, transformed, transfigured, reborn, and renewed over and over again. St. Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians that all of us are being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. You and I, right now, in this moment, are being changed how? Why? Because we have stepped out of our normal lives and stepped into this moment of the kingdom of God known as prayer. That's what this is. That's why we are really here. Sure, the community's great, and Chad does a wonderful job with music, and the sermons are probably normally great, except for today. <laughs> 
But underneath all of that, the Sunday gathering of Christians is about prayer. It's about communing with God. The relentlessness of Sunday is meant to transform us on our journey from baptism to eternity with countless Sundays in between. Christians are changed because we are a people of prayer, a people who, in the words of Rowan Williams, expect to hear from God. Now, admittedly, there, is a, there are a lot of misconceptions about prayer out there, and I've been a priest long enough to know that those misconceptions exist in this room, too. Prayer is one of those things that most Christians know they ought to do, but seldom do with any regularity, and most have very little understanding of what it is in the first place. And unfortunately, people walk around with shame about this. We see this expressed when people cite today's gospel as evidence that prayer actually doesn't work. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and that door will be open for you. And so we ask, we seek, we knock only to receive nothing, to find nothing, and to have doors closed in our faces. Now this really matters when our prayers are desperate when we offer prayers for the healing of a sick loved one and they still die, or we offer prayer for a troubled relationship and it still ends. It's hard to keep praying when these are the results, when what Jesus seems to promise us in scripture seems to be nothing but a pile of nonsense. It's also hard to keep praying when so many in our wider society use prayer so cheaply, responding to human-made tragedies with an endless appeal to thoughts and prayers. When thoughts and prayers are offered over and over and the problems don't seem to change or, in fact, only get worse, the ministry of prayer is cheapened to a point of utter meaninglessness. If this is what prayer is, it's no wonder people walk away from faith. It's no wonder many think that God is dead. Jesus' entire discourse on prayer, however, teaches us something different. He tells us when you pray, pray for the coming of God's reign. Pray for sustenance and food for the world. Pray for reconciliation. And oh, by the way, be reconcilers yourself. In short, what Jesus is teaching us is that prayer is a participation in the missio dei, the mission of God. For Jesus, prayer is mission. What is the mission of God? Well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> the Book of Common Prayer says that the mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. Now, hopefully, the mission of the church and the mission of the God of the church are one and the same. If so, then God's mission, God's activity in our world is this, reconciliation and restoration to repair what sin has broken. Prayer, at least as Jesus frames it in our gospel, is about participating in this mission. It is asking, seeking, and knocking to discover what God is up to in our world and what our role is 
engaging God's mission. When Jesus says, everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened, he is talking about discerning the will of God, being connected to our neighbors, and understanding our collective responsibility to those around us. So in a book that has become sort of my leadership Bible, Lessons in Leadership, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the chief rabbi of the United Kingdom, suggests that collective responsibility is one of the themes of our Genesis reading. He suggests that Abraham's exchange with God cannot be understood apart from Noah's exchange with God a few chapters earlier. If you will recall, when God tells Noah that he is going to flood the earth and destroy all mankind, Noah kind of shrugs. Sure, he accepts it. He says nothing. Rabbi Sack says that Noah is a man of virtue in the age of vice, but he makes no impact on his contemporaries. Sure, he saves his family and the animals, but no one else. At least according to Torah, your own goodness is not good enough if you do not have an impact on those around you. If your righteousness is not saving others, what good is it? In contrast to Noah, Abraham assumes a collective responsibility. He prays on behalf of the inhabitants of Sodom because he understands the idea of human solidarity. Abraham knows in the words of John Donne that no man is an island to himself, entire to itself, that any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in humankind. Prayer, then, is not simply about me, myself, and I. Prayer is about the collective it expresses our concern for those around us. It is becoming aware of the pain and trauma around us, at our border, in our prisons, under our bridges, in our schools, and in our homes. Prayer is asking, seeking, and knocking to discover and remember what the will of God is in this moment for these people. And then, while still discerning God's will, asking for strength and grace to respond faithfully. So let me review before I close. Evangelism, number one, is simply living a life deeply connected to and shaped by the love of Christ. Number two, one of the ways that we are shaped by Christ's love is through an intentional engagement with prayer in the Christian community, continuing in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in the prayers. And number three, prayer is not simply and solely about our needs, but prayer is a direct participation in God's mission of reconciliation. And so, if all this is true, then evangelism is this. It is being shaped by and bearing witness to God's reconciling work in the world. That's it. 
It is proclaiming by word and example that there is yet a God who is busily destroying what sin has built in order that the reign of justice and compassion and mercy and joy and peace might be felt by everyone. Evangelism is living our lives in God's peace and rejecting the world's anxiety. It is continuing to show generosity to the stranger even when the prevailing narrative is scarcity and there's not enough. It is rejecting all violence, all vengeance, and all retribution because God's kingdom is one where the lion shall lie down with the lamb. Evangelism is living in such a way that the world may see and know that things which were cast down are being raised up, that things which had grown old are being made new, and that all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made. That's it. That's all evangelism is. It is living our lives constantly aware that God's future is advancing upon us right here in this moment. So Christians feed and support the poor and the vulnerable because we've got one foot in God's kingdom and in God's kingdom there is food enough for everyone and more. Christians support the poor and they support migrants and show hospitality to strangers because we've got one foot in God's kingdom and in God's kingdom there is a place for everyone no matter where you come from. Christians build relationships with folks who look different and pray different and sound different and vote different Because we've got one foot in God's kingdom, and in God's kingdom, you and I, we're all siblings of the same God. And so I do what I do in the name of Jesus Christ, because I have one foot in this world and one foot in the kingdom of God, and the dissonance is unbearable. That's evangelism. That is living a life deeply connected to and shaped by the love of Christ. That's the kind of life that can turn this world upside down in the words of our presiding bishop, which is really right side up. And if you have been baptized, this is the life into which you have been initiated and for which this world is waiting with eager longing to be revealed in each and every one of us. Amen. Amen.